Today on the Scott Soap Podcast, we are in our series on the Gospel of John. John writes his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad that all of you are here today. Some of you are watching us online. We're so glad that you're able to join us through the course of this week. And we pray that this time that you spent with us in your home, as you've invited us into your home, will be an uh, would be a blessing to you. This morning, before we continue and look in uh, our study in the Gospel of John, I just want to give you a very important announcement that's coming our way. Every year in the month of um, February, we have what's called Elevate Weekend. And Elevate Weekend is an opportunity for all of our students from middle school to high school to come together to spend the weekend together on campus and in homes of our people all around the Loop Road and around the area. They come together for a great time of worship together, come studying God's word together, and also doing community projects and mission projects in our city together. That's going to happen on the weekend of February the 27th. And we've got 239 students that have signed up for this thing. Yeah, 239. 239 teenagers and pre-teenagers that are going to come onto this campus, spend the weekend together. Now that means this, the culmination of that weekend for Elevate Weekend is to gather together in this worship facility at 11 o'clock and they celebrate together. Now that means this, 239 teenagers plus their parents plus the workers are going to take over this building on February the 27th. And that means most of you are going to be displaced from here because we just can't get you in. The numbers don't work. Here's what we're going to do on February the 27th. At the 11 o'clock hour, we are opening the Crosspoint Center up with a live band with pastors who are going to be making announcements. All of the venues are live, with the exception of my message, will be streamed into that place. So on February the 27th, if you're not connected to a student by a family or a worker, you can get in here, but chances are there'll only be a few spaces available. So we want you to know don't stay home that week. Come to the Crosspoint Center as we can celebrate together and continuing to worship together. Now, we will help you in the parking lot and let you know when we're full and how to get to the Crosspoint Center. That's on the 27th. So we want you to be a part of that. We're excited about it. It's going to be a great day in our student ministry. Now, today is Super Bowl Sunday. We know that. Somebody said, I thought last week was Super Bowl Sunday. I went home and I cooked and got prepared and they, they, they missed it by a week. But Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl 56 is today. And of course, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Joe Burrow Bingos are going to be playing today. And millions of people all around the world are going to be watching this game. I mean, literally around the world. And while millions of people are gathering, they're going to be cooking, they're going to be eating, they're going to be hanging out with friends. One of the things they're going to be doing too is betting a lot of money. Never before in the history of our nation is it so easy to go on an app and place bets. Some things like Caesar sports books and things like that. People are making bets. And you know that you can put a bet on anything in the Super Bowl? You can bet who's going to score the first touchdown by a rush, who's going to score the first touchdown by a catch, how many penalties are going to be in each quarter, what are the penalties going to be thrown. I mean, you can bet everything. One man this past week made history 
for the largest bet on a mobile device in history. His name is Mattress Mac. He lives in Houston, Texas. He owns a huge um, furniture store and he bet $4.5 million on his mobile app this past week. I mean, can you imagine that just going and taking your phone and say, yeah, I think I'll drop four and a half mil on this. And he bet on the Cincinnati Bengals. He's betting on the Bengals to win. Some of you are like, oh no. Yeah, they're gonna win, don't worry about it. But four and a half million dollars. Now the Bengals are picked not to win. They're down by four and a half points. They're the underdog. And so he's going against what all the sports analysts are saying. He's just dropped four and a half million dollars. Now, the Rams are picked to win by four and a half points, which means this, that if you bet $10 on the Rams, you can win $15. But if you bet $10 on the Bengals, you will win $27. So the win out for Mattress Max, if the Bengals win, is $7.7 million he will win today. Now you might say, wow, it must be nice to have that kind of money to bet on something like that. And you and I probably more often think that it's foolish, that you would bet four and a half million dollars on a sporting event that most people won't even remember five years from now. And we could say that is a foolish decision. But when I think about what other people are betting every single day of their lives, that foolishness doesn't compare to the foolishness that many people are making. There are billions of people around the world who are betting their eternal destinies on a certain way to get to heaven. If I can just do this, then I'll get to heaven. Or if I can be a part of this group, then I get to heaven. And they're pouring their eternal destiny in, the, in a flawed approach of getting to heaven. People are doing it all around the world. They're worshiping false gods they're trying to accomplish certain things. If I can do this thing, if I can be this thing, if I can think this way, if I can accomplish this, and that's not just outside of the church. Every single Sunday, all across the world, as churches are gathering together, there are people who come into the buildings and they are betting their eternal destiny on things that will not get them to heaven. You know, if I just go to church and I'd be a good person, if I just try to treat people the way I want to be treated, you know, if I can just serve in the church, if I can do this thing, if I can have this position, if I can memorize so many scripture verses, if I can do this or be this, and what they do is they're betting their eternal destiny on something that is terribly flawed. And they will miss eternity because of their approach. This morning, as we continue to look at the gospel of John, we come to chapter three, where Jesus has one of the most popular encounters of a religious man. He deals with this religious man and this man is absolutely certain that the path that he's on is going to give him eternal life. And Jesus, being a wonderful, patient teacher, pulls him aside and he teaches this man what is really necessary for eternity. And I can say that there are probably people in this room today that your eternal destiny is resting on something that will not give you eternity with God. And the Lord Jesus today is speaking to us as he's speaking to this man as well. So take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter three, 
beginning in verse 1. Now, we're going through the Gospel of John, and we're doing so because we want to look at the portraits that John gives us about who the real Jesus is. Two weeks ago, we began by looking at the real Jesus. He is both God and man. Divinity and humanity wrapped together. If we miss it here, we miss everything the Bible teaches us about the real Jesus Christ. So he is both God and he's man. Last week, we saw that he is God's sacrificial substitute for us and for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't come just to make us feel good about ourselves. He didn't come just to make us feel better. He came to die in our place which is known as the atonement, living a perfect life and a perfect sacrifice so you and I could be forgiven by his blood and his work on the cross. And then in chapter three, now we come and he encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus. And this guy, Nicodemus, knows all the answers like many of us do. And many of us love to talk about heaven. There's an old Negro spiritual, and in that spiritual, that song, there's one line that says this, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there because they're resting on a flawed approach for eternal security. So Jesus comes, and he's in this place. Nicodemus comes to him at night. And this is what we call the original Nick at night. Here he comes in John chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jerusalem by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. To be a Pharisee, you have to be an outstanding student. In fact, you would have devoted your entire life to the study of scriptures. You have devoted your entire life to the teachings of the rabbis and all the wise men of the culture. You would have devoted your entire life to the Mosaic law. You would have known every single one of the laws and the laws that are around the Ten Commandments. You would have practiced them. You would have adhered to them. You would have been absolutely as best as you could possibly be in them. As a Pharisee, you would have reached the pinnacle of spiritual elitism in your culture. You would have considered the most holy person in all of Jerusalem. And the people looked up to the Pharisees because these were the guys who were disciplined. They were spiritually deep. They were spiritual thinkers. They had their lives together spiritually. And when you looked at them, they seemed to be the perfect picture of holiness. He was a Pharisee. But not only was he a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. As a ruler of the Jews meant he would have been a part of the the ruling board, the Supreme Court of Israel. It's known as the Sanhedrin. And as a Sanhedrin, he would have been one of 71 members on this court. They were the Supreme Court. They were made up of the most outstanding Pharisees. They would have been made up of scribes and elders. They would have been made up of former high priests. And they would have been convened by the high priest at that time. 
They were responsible for all the civil issues in community. They were responsible for any kind of criminal offenses, and they were responsible for holding court cases. They were the Supreme Court. They were rulers. He would have been the epitome of spiritual life. He would have been the epitome of a servant in his community and very rich. Here's another thing that we know about Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night. Why does he come by night? Well, Jesus has been making a lot of disturbance in Jerusalem. He had just overturned all the money chambers in the temple, the changers in the temple. He would have run the merchants out of the temple. He even told them that if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up, speaking of his own body. People were irate. People were having all kinds of discussions about who Jesus is. So he comes at night, probably because he doesn't want to be too connected with Jesus, but also this was probably the time that would be best for him to interact with Jesus in a deep dialogue. But he also likes Jesus because he calls him rabbi. He says, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. I really like you. He's very kind towards Jesus. He was soft-hearted towards Jesus. He, he liked hanging out with Jesus. He even recognized that Jesus was from God. And that he says, unless no one can do these things, unless God is with him. So here's Nicodemus. He is a spiritually deep guy. He is a servant of the people of God in Jerusalem. He likes Jesus and is friendly with Jesus and even believes that God sent Jesus. And he has these powers from almighty God. Listen, most of us would look at a guy like that and say, man, we want him in our church. We want that guy to serve on our elder board. We want that guy to be in charge of our finances. We want him teaching our theology classes. I mean, come on, he's the whole package. This is the kind of person everybody looks to as the model of spirituality. And he's sitting before Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? I love it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I know about your life. I know your study. I know the depths of what you've poured into. I know your service. I know you're like me. But Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That would have shook his world. Wait, what? You mean all of this stuff that I've been doing and you're going to stand before me and say none of it is good enough? And then Jesus says to him, and, and, and he says, this is not going to get you there, Nicodemus. It's not about all what you have done. It's not about what you do. It's not how much you serve. You must be born again. Here's the thing I love about Jesus. Jesus always tells the truth, doesn't he? Here is one of the most spiritual elite men of Jerusalem, considered also the theologian of Jerusalem. And Jesus is not afraid to tell him what's he, what's he, he is missing in his life. He's not afraid of that. Jesus always did this. He tells Nicodemus the truth. Remember the woman at the well? He tells her the truth. Remember the rich young ruler? He tells him the truth. Jesus always tells the truth modeled with grace. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have said, well, you know what, Nicodemus, man, man, I, I really need you on my team. 
Man, with you, I can have all kinds of networking. With you, I can have all kinds of contacts. With you, I, I know you're a little bit off there. I know you're a, bit, a little bit zealous about your self-righteousness, but you know, I know you have a really good heart. I mean, that's good enough. That's all I'm asking. Come be a part of my team. He could have said the woman at the well, you know, I really need a female minority on my team. I really need somebody like you because this is a man's world and if I could get you on my team, you can make an impact in so many different ways with your gender, with your minority. I could really use you. Yeah, I know the life that you're living. It's not the most moral thing, but hey, you know what? We can work on that. He doesn't say that. To the rich young ruler, he doesn't say, you know what? Second thought, you don't need to sell everything. Just sell most of it. Sell most of it. Give it to me Fund my ministry and follow me whenever you get a chance. He didn't say that, did he? Jesus tells the truth about what is necessary for salvation. No matter who he's speaking to and no matter at what time. He tells his own disciples that unless you deny me and take up your cross and follow me daily, you can have nothing to do with me unless you're willing to die. And he tells him the truth. Now Nicodemus is hearing this. What does Nicodemus say? He said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be born? Now Nicodemus knew the birth process. He knew a man like himself could not go back and be reborn. He was using this kind of a deflection because here's what he knows Jesus is really saying. Jesus is really saying to Nicodemus, you gotta start over, brother. You got it all wrong. All these things that you have accumulated, all these things that you think is going to give you eternal salvation, every bit of it you miss, you've got to go back to the beginning. And Nicodemus didn't like that. So what is Jesus teaching Nicodemus? And what is he teaching you and me? Here's the first point. Salvation is not about being religious or performing religious service, but about being regenerated by God's spirit. This is huge. It's not about just what we can do externally. It's about what happens to me internally. It's not about trying to be good and having some kind of moral behavior modification on the outside. It is about something that changes on the inside. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He says, Nicodemus, you gotta be born of water and spirit. Now, what is he talking about there? Some say the water part refers to our physical birth and of the spirit of God, but that's not what he could be speaking about because everybody knows that who he's speaking to has already been born, so that's a non-issue. Is it about baptism? Is he speaking about you must be baptized and born of the spirit of God? But Nicodemus wouldn't have understood what baptism is. They didn't practice it in the way that the early church did. And therefore, Jesus is not saying that baptism is necessary for regeneration. What is he talking about here? Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. Because Ezekiel even speaks of these things. That this is the spiritual cleansing that happens in the heart by the power of the Spirit of God. He says to him, do not marvel that I say this to you, that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. 
Regeneration is a supernatural act of God that is wrought by the Spirit of God that works in the heart of a person, in their mind, in their conscience, and in their heart, changing everything about them from the inside out. Nicodemus knew this. Ezekiel says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is he talking about? He's talking about this supernatural work of the spirit of God that begins to work in the life of a man, a woman, a boy or a girl. And he begins to work within convicting them of their sin. He begins to work by convicting them of judgment that awaits them apart from Christ. He begins to work by convicting them that Jesus Christ is their only hope. It is the spirit of God who works deep within us, who begins to change our thinking, begins to change our passions, begin to change our thoughts, begin to change our desires. And when the Holy Spirit begins to do that work within us, and when we yield to the work of the Spirit of God, regeneration, rebirth takes place simultaneously in a mysterious way that we cannot understand. It is an act of God, by God, through God, that gives you and me new life. And he says it's the spirit that you can't know where he's going to be. It's like the wind. Mysteriously and sovereignly, God works in the lives of people in a way that we cannot comprehend. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. I was a senior in high school. I was lost as can be, involved in drugs, involved in alcohol, involved in illegal activity, all kinds of bad stuff. I had a friend of mine invite me to a little Baptist church on a Thursday night. I asked him, I said, Danny, who goes to church on Thursday nights? He said, Baptists who don't have a date for Friday night. And I said, count me in. So I went with them. Youth choir was singing. They're singing. And I'm sitting in there with all of my friends from this school. I'm looking around. I see all these guys that I'm hanging out with. This preacher starts preaching. I've never heard a Baptist preacher preach before. And as he is preaching the word of God, all of a sudden, the spirit of God is convicting me of my sin. I know that I'm a sinner. Nobody has to convince me of that. Then he's convicting me of the judgment that is ahead of me. I knew that if I died that night, I'm going to hell. And he's convicting me that Jesus is the only answer. I'm hanging on to that pew so hard my knuckles are turning white. And I said, Lord, I thought of the best person I knew. Why? Because he was the model of spiritual maturity. I said, let Jerry Harris walk down that aisle. If you're really dealing with me, let Jerry go first. 15 seconds, there goes Jerry Harris. Walks down there, he prays to that preacher. Prays to the preacher, talks to the preacher. The preacher leads him to faith in Christ. The guy that I thought had it all together was lost. And I went down there and I grabbed that preacher by the hand. I said, Brother Lucas, I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about eternity. I know this, if I die tonight, I'm going to hell and Jesus is my only hope. What do I need to do? And he leads me to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I walk out of there. I didn't go for a savior. I went for a date. I walked out of there that night with a savior and a date with Cindy Babcock. So 
Why am I sharing this with you? I was not looking for him, but he was looking for me. And here's the point. The guy sitting next to me who came with me was bored stiff during the whole message. We walked out and I heard him saying, that's the most boring thing I have ever been through in my life. And for me, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You see, it's not about remodeling your heart. It's not about renovating your heart. It's about regeneration of a dead heart. And I'm telling you today, it's only in a relationship with Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit of God that you and I can have eternal life. So if you're running after it, doing your way, if you're thinking earning it, you're thinking be able to work towards it, my friend, your whole eternal destiny is flawed. And he says, no, it's in me changing you. Titus puts it this way. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about because he has changed your life. Some of you are here today and he's been doing something in you, stirring your heart, stirring your mind, and you know that he's doing a work in you. That's the spirit of God who's coming after you. And some of you are saying, I've heard this before all my life. I'm tired of hearing it. And it is the Spirit of God that is going to do his work. So what does Nicodemus say? <coughs> How can this be? How can it be? Now, he's really not asking the question so much of how do these things happen? That's not what he's asking about. He is a theologian of Israel. He should know. What he's asking is this. What are you kidding me, Jesus? How can this be? I spent my whole life doing what I thought was the right thing, studying the word of God, living diligently, disciplining myself, sacrificing so many things. You mean to tell me that God's not going to accept me? You mean to tell me that all the work I've done is for nothing? He refused to give up his self-righteous approach. He was still hanging on to his way of getting into heaven. How do we know that? Here's what Jesus says. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. He's basically saying, you don't really believe me, Nicodemus. He goes on. He says, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Basically saying this, Nicodemus, we know what we're talking about. He's speaking about he and the father. We know what we're talking about. Why? Because the one who descended is going to ascend and I'm the one who was there from eternity past. So I'm speaking with authority to you, Nicodemus. And here's the problem with Nicodemus. He liked Jesus. He liked being around Jesus. He even believed that Jesus was sent from God, but here's what Nicodemus could not bring himself to believe, that Jesus is God. He couldn't bring himself to that. Jesus is God. And so here's the second lesson that the teacher gives us. Salvation is not about good feelings for Jesus, but about genuine faith in Jesus. 
See, Nicodemus liked hanging out with Jesus. Maybe there's some notoriety to it. He liked the teachings of Jesus. He even believed that Jesus came from God, but he refused to surrender his heart to Jesus. And here's the problem with so many people today. So many people love to talk about believing in Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is God's son. Oh yeah, I like the teachings of Jesus. Oh yeah, I love that. Elon Musk was on a, a radio program not long ago with the Babylon Bee of all people. And they asked him, point blank, are you willing to give your life to Jesus right now? And you know what his response was? Well, I like Jesus. I, I like his teaching. I believe he's a great guy. In fact, I apply many of his principles to my life. And there are many people in the church who do the same thing every single week. But here's the problem. They've never surrendered to him as Lord. Oh, I just want enough of Jesus to make me happy. I just want enough of Jesus to make me feel good. I want enough of Jesus that maybe you'll like me. And yet they've never surrendered their life. Now, what does Jesus do? He takes Nicodemus to an illustration of the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 21. And here's what happens in that section. They're in the wilderness. The people have rebelled against God. And what happens? They're being bitten by venomous snakes by the judgment of God. The people are dying by these snakes. They come to Moses and they plead with Moses, please, please pray to God on our behalf. Take these snakes away. And so Moses is instructed by God to take a bronze replica of a serpent, put it on a pole, and lift it high above all the people. And when the people get bit by a snake, they all look to the pole, and they see that snake on that pole, and they say, I, 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 I acknowledge that I'm sinning, and I ask God to forgive me, and I'm trusting his forgiveness in my life. All they had to do was look in faith, they were healed. They didn't have to run to the pole. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to do is look to the snake on the pole and they were healed. And here's what Jesus tells Moses. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nick, that was about me. And you like hanging out with me. You even like saying that I'm sent by God, but you don't believe I am God. And you're not willing to surrender your life to me. Let me just say this. 83% of Americans say they believe Jesus is the son of God. 83% of Americans say they believe Jesus is the son of God. 16% of the people who believe that Jesus is the son of God in that same poll said that he has changed the way they live their lives. 16%. There's an old saying many years ago that we used to say in the church and some of you in the younger generation may not have heard this and sometimes we don't repeat them because we think they're old, but you need to hear this. And it goes like this. Many people miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance from the head to the heart. You believe in him here, but you have never surrendered here. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Big deal. You know what James says? In James chapter 2, verse 19, he says, the demons believe in God and shudder. 
Just believing in Jesus is demonic faith. That's it. But it's surrendering to him as Lord. Yielding your life to him as your Lord and your Savior. Placing everything of your future, your present, your past into him. And you embrace him and you pick up your cross and you are willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. It is surrender. The difference between demonic faith and authentic faith is not believing, it's surrendering everything to him. Now here's what's interesting. From this point on, we never hear another peep out of Nicodemus. He never says another word. Jesus gives us one more lesson that we're going to close with, but that's it. Now, what's interesting is this. We see Nicodemus two more times in the Gospels, in Gospel John. We see him two more times. One time, he's in the Sanhedrin defending Jesus. And the last time, he's at the cross with a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He goes to Pilate and asks for the body, takes the body down, and helps Joseph of Arimathea bury the body of Jesus. Now, most scholars would say he ultimately came to faith in Christ. We don't know that for sure, but sanctified reasoning helps us to understand that his life was impacted by this conversation. And Jesus leaves Nicodemus with one more thing. Salvation is not about condemning the world. It's about changing the world through Jesus. Nicodemus, it's not about your works. You have to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. It's not about your belief. You have to be totally surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. It's not about condemning the world, Nicodemus. It's about joining Jesus in changing the world. And he goes to the most popular verse in all of the New Testament. Most of you have memorized it. You've memorized it as kids. Some of you have memorized it recently. Some of you have known it most of your Christian life. And here's what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that so assuring? That God so loved. The word so loved in that little phrase means it's out of this world kind of love. It's a kind of love that you can't even imagine. That he would send his only son. What is the object of his love? The world. In a general sense, the world, and that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is not speaking about universalism here, where when Jesus dies on the cross, all are saved. The fact that some are going to perish and some are going to have everlasting life argues against universalism. But what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that God's love was so deep that it wasn't relegated to one group of people in the world. But it will go, go beyond boundaries. It will go beyond nations. It will go beyond ethnic groups. It will go beyond racial groups. It will go beyond socioeconomic levels. God so loved the world, people all over the world, that he gave his only son. And let me tell you what that did for Nicodemus. It infuriated him. That would have infuriated any good Jew. Why? Salvation's for the Jews. If the world's going to come to salvation, they have to come through Judaism. You've got to come through my method. You've got to come through what I believe. And if you're going to be a child of God and you don't come the way I believe, then you're going to miss heaven. And what do you end up doing? You condemn everybody who's not like you. You. 
And what does Jesus say? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's a message for believers. If Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, why is the church so aggressive and condemning the world that's already condemned? If that's true, why is the church so aggressive and pointing the fingers at people whose lifestyles are not like mine, whose thoughts are not like mine, whose choices are not like mine, whose tactics are not like mine? Why do we spend our time pointing our fingers at the world when Jesus came to change the world? And we become Pharisees like Nicodemus. And if we're not careful, we miss the whole point. What does the world need? The world needs Jesus. And through Jesus, there comes conversion. Through Jesus, there's regeneration. Through Jesus, there's change. And Jesus is saying to those who are his, listen, don't spend your time condemning something already condemned. Spend your time joining me in the work of conversion and change. Now, we don't bring the conversion. We don't bring the change. Only the Holy Spirit can do that as we join him in his work of transforming lives. Jesus says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And he goes on, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates light and does not come to the light. At least his works should be exposed. Then he concludes the whole chapter. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let me wind all of this down. Jesus is the gentle teacher. And the teachers before us today, and here's what he's saying. If you're here and you're counting on your works and you're counting on your good deeds, then your eternal destiny is built on a system that is flawed. You cannot save yourself. Only I can give you eternal life. And Jesus is saying, it's not enough just to believe in me. You must surrender your life to me. And here's where the Spirit of God and conversion works simultaneously as the Spirit of God is convicting the heart of an individual that Jesus is their only hope. And when that un person yields to that conviction and surrenders their life, there is your eternal security. You may be here today and say, whoa, 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 when I was five years old, I prayed that prayer. I walked down the aisle of that little Baptist church. I prayed a prayer. I even got baptized. Has your life changed? No. You see, praying a prayer is not the issue. Surrendering to Christ always follows with a changed life. And the most important thing about any believer is their changed life. And what is the indication that they begin to walk in the light and they pursue the things of Jesus? Are they perfect? No. Will they sin? Absolutely. Will there be temptation? Yes. Will they fall? Yes. Will they have times of dryness? Yes. But the passion of their life is to pursue the one who gave them life.
because they have a new heart. But if you're here today, the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about your works. Three things I want to close with. Don't bet your eternal destiny on religion or good works. It won't get you there. Don't bet your eternal destiny on mental assent. Well, I think good vibes of Jesus. Don't become a Pharisee condemning those who need change. The teacher is here and he's speaking to you. He's encouraging us in his gentleness of being able to walk in a way where our security is firmly planted in him and not ourselves. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. In fact, I'm gonna ask you to stand. You might wanna open your eyes to stand, then once you stand, close your eyes. The band's gonna come out, we're gonna close with a song. If you're a believer here today, give thanks to what God has done in you. Just as you have had nothing to do with your physical birth, you don't have anything to do with your spiritual birth. In the sense that God is the one who began that work in you. Give him thanks today for his amazing grace. And don't live like a Pharisee. Recognize that God wants to use you to bring about change in the lives of other people. Love them like Jesus loves them. If you're here today and you're not a believer, yet God's been doing something in your life, you think, man, my, my, think, my thinking has been changing. My heart is being strangely warmed. Something is going on in me. And Jesus, the teacher, is before you today and saying, surrender to me. Surrender to me. Give your life fully to me. And there will be eternal security that can never be taken away. You might ask, how do I do that? I want you to pray this prayer to yourself. If you're looking at that, pray this prayer to yourself. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you, but Jesus is your son. He came and he died for me in my place. He was buried, he rose on the third day. He is alive today. And even now he is calling me to surrender. And right now I give to you everything. I surrender my past, my present, my future. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come and live in my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.